Welcome to Global E-Commerce Tech Talks. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with the Global E-Commerce Leaders Forum. The global pandemic has supercharged the growth of e-commerce and markets around the world and accelerated digital commerce trends for retail brands selling direct-to-consumer, DTC. As different countries respond to the global pandemic with different timelines, retail stores will reclaim a small share of sales that has shifted online. But the shift of digital has legs. Kantar Detail Online study found that 6 out of 10 consumers say they will continue to buy as much online as they are now buying after the pandemic has passed. Global e-commerce leaders are leveraging lessons learned internationally to fuel this domestic growth of retail sales in both established and emerging digital channels. In this episode, we talk to Nathan Isaacson, GM Digital at New Balance, and talk about his digital commerce leadership in today's dynamic market environment, the platform world, how New Balance cracked the code with Amazon, and forming and fostering a culture of leadership and innovation. Let's have a listen. Ken, Jim, let's kick off another great episode. How are you both doing? Doing well, thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Great to have you back. Well, it's another milestone episode for us. Uh, our first special guest, Nathan Isaacson, GM of Digital New Balance. Welcome, Nathan. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Uh, how are you? Now, what part of, two-part question, what part of, uh, how are you, A, and B, what part of the uh, connected globe are you sitting in today? I'm doing well. These are unusual times, but, but doing well in them. Uh, I'm currently sitting in Boston. This is where I'm based. When it all first broke out, though, actually, my wife and I decided to go up to Vermont for a few weeks. So we've broken it up a couple of times, but speaking to you from Boston. Uh, so we, we got uh, Chicago, San Francisco, Toronto, and Boston. The the continent is well represented today. So, Kent, I know you know Nathan, and he, he joined you on stage at Gulf New York last September. I was there uh, as well. And, and you mentioned he was one of the most popular speakers over the years at Gulf. And to me, that says a lot because I've attended several of the events and, and always have a fantastic uh, roster of speakers. So um, give us a little bit of background and and, um, and walk us through uh, how you got to know Nathan and, and a little bit of his contribution over the years. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Michael. And again, thanks, Nathan, for joining us. Yeah, Nathan always likes to uh, encourage us to take our game to the next level, and, and that's something we, we genuinely appreciate. I know the first time, uh, you know, kind of he came up, we were I believe at Guelph, New York, maybe three years, four years or so ago. And Nathan was directly responsible for our first China study back in 2017 after he came up to be kind of challenged us to, to move beyond the hype and explore some of the challenges that global e-commerce leaders were really struggling with in, in China. Back then, Nathan was front and center on the thought leadership front at Guelph as we were exploring how brands were working more strategically with marketplace marketplace patterns as well. And certainly have learned a lot from Nathan over the years about how brands growing relationship with Amazon and the Alibabas of the world were really kind of disrupting global distribution. That was a topic of our, our NRF study back uh, last year. So really kind of looking forward to encouraging and to exploring how digital is, is rapidly transforming the whole, you know, wholesale ecosystem, if you will. Now that we're seeing this dramatic shift of e-commerce you know, in almost every country around the world, we're, we're thrilled that Nathan is back to share his insights about how the COVID-19 pandemic is accelerating, accelerating some of the execution of global e-commerce strategies and in really a big way for brands that are selling direct to consumer. So, Nathan, thanks again for joining the, the Gulf community and congrats as well on the promotion to GM of, of digital at New Balance. Well, thanks, Ken. And Michael, I do have to chime in and correct that story a little bit because I think Ken's version <laughs> is, it's a bit generous. My recollection of 
my first meeting with, with Kent and Jim shortly thereafter was similarly talking about uh, getting more content on China. But as I remember it, I was just a pest in Kent's ear trying to uh, steal a couple of minutes of a popular guy at a great event. And he was kind enough to hear what I had to say. And, and then we did end up making it a little bit more of the program, which is great. You know, it sounds like a fantastic uh, addition to the community and, and certainly welcome to uh, welcome to our podcast. I wanted to kick off with some questions about current events. I, I spent last week uh, writing, interviewing retailers uh, across Canada and talking about uh, their past eight to 12 weeks, this, you know, in the, in the COVID era, the COVID crisis. And many of them were saying, you know, the demand either hit them like a shockwave or a sledgehammer. You know, the ones who were in fitness were saying, you know, all of a sudden everybody's walking and or uh, everybody's suddenly walking and, and wears out their shoes that were almost about to go. So I, I'm really curious, you know, I, lo- I love that kind of framing that you have overall you know, digital isn't the sideshow anymore. It's the main show. And we're certainly hearing digital is going off the charts growth. Um, you know, that was from the, the recent Gelf webinar. But tell us about how New Balance has been, been handling the surge of demand for, for running, for running and shows and, 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 you know, for the, for the events and walking and all these things. And, and, and then if you could get into a bit of your role at, at, uh, at New Balance too. To say it's been an interesting stretch for New Balance is an understatement. Yeah. I think there have been a couple of different chapters to, the crisis and our response and our customers' responses and how it's played out in some of our channels. At first, we saw everybody, consumers, retailers, our own channels to an extent, recoil in and just had to make sense of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then over the last four to six weeks, we have seen just an incredible shift to digital. And it's across really any touch point that it could be. Our own newbalance.com has been blowing its year-over-year numbers out of the water. Our pure play digital channels, which are what I manage, are having great years, whether we look at that on um, a relative basis given the crisis or on a year-over-year basis. And we've really seen a lot of our key retail partners step up their digital efforts and see performance uh, commensurate with that. Specific to where are we seeing some of that success, it's been a great time for running. If you think about the dynamics in the exercise world. You have a couple of things going on that suit a brand like us quite well, actually. You have people who are stuck at home, who are no longer able to go to their gyms, go to their fitness classes, engage in a lot of the, frankly, more expensive exercise activities that they were doing previously. And they're finding themselves wanting to have an escape, to get out of their apartment, out of their home, to feel the endorphins of a good run. And we have seen our running business really take off. What's been also really great about that for New Balance is I think it's encouraged our brand to double down on our core DNA. If you think about what has made New Balance a great and unique brand in this space over the 100-year period that we've been in existence, the common thread is running. We are at our best when our running business is really strong And this has been a great opportunity for us to look at who we really are at our core and double down on that. So what role do I play in New Balance? I've worn a a few different hats in New Balance over my time at the company, but all of them have been in one form or another tied to digital e-commerce. When I first met Kent and Jim, I was managing our international e-commerce business. So I had responsibility for all of our newbalance.com uh, and what we would now call marketplace businesses outside of the U.S., so very focused on China 
and Tmall and JD and WeChat, uh, but also is spending a lot of time on our Japanese market, our Western European market. New Balance is a brand that went through an explosive period of international growth. And what a lot of people might not know about our brand is that we're about twice as large outside of the U.S. as we are in the U.S. today. And e-commerce oh, I had no idea. is a big part of that. Yeah. I had no idea. Hmm. We're actually, we're the number one lifestyle brand in, in Japan, which is a, wow. a, a fun, sad people don't know. And then what I do now is the other side of digital commerce. So I now have a responsibility for all of our digital commerce businesses other than NewBalance.com, and that's in the U.S. So my purview breaks down into three major categories, what we call digital sales. So that would be Amazon, Zappos, all of the pure play e-com channels that for most companies would fall in a wholesale bucket. The second area of responsibility I have is marketplace. And we define marketplace fairly broadly, uh, but basically looking at single shipment models. And I think later we might get into a little bit of our evolving hub and spoke strategy. And then my third area of responsibility is what we call emerging channels. So that would be new formats, many of which blur the line between marketing and e-commerce. So think of examples such as StockX or the network, mm-hmm. um, which in our market, where it's very hype-driven, um, there's a big sneakerhead culture, those new formats are a, a big, big part of consumer influence. Right. The, the whole drop culture. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's so fascinating, right? It's changed so much from, you know, launching seasonally to just dropping styles. And, and um, we've seen that across many different commodities, right? Different categories. Yeah. And I think that the sneaker industry has always been at the forefront of that. Drop culture has been a part of this business for a long time. And it's been really interesting seeing it go through a digital evolution um, and New Balance is, is trying to lead the way on that. You know, reflecting on, the, on what you've been describing in terms of growth, I, I, you know, talking to retailers from across all kinds of different commodities, they see all kinds of different trends hitting them like waves on the beach, right? As people kind of start to realize, as we all start to realize what life uh, is like in adjusting in the short term and then, and then thinking about the longer term, right? The, you know, what is life going to be like uh, in the COVID era? Am I going to be working at home? Am I going to be working in the office? Am I ever going to go to a fitness place again? What does that mean? How should I invest my dollars differently sometimes? The other thing I, that I was thinking of as you were speaking was this, you know, this great background legacy of, of the organization and, and, you know, how digital becomes such a part of the DNA. I like that, that phrase you had. Jim, you and I, you know, you and I go back a long, long time uh, here in Toronto and, and working together in Canada. And, and I know one of the things you and I have talked about a lot is, um, you know, culture and really organizational structure and culture. And, and there's a lot of different ways to go at optimizing, optimizing digital in any organization. There's nothing like what we've just been through to highlight the fact that digital is important if anybody was kind of sitting on the sidelines, or it makes the issue even more pronounced. You know, you've been a leading voice in this redesigning of organizations, the, the, the culture trumping the business strategy, the organizational design has to follow through to be successful. Um, you know, have you ever seen such a shift? And, and, and it sounds like we're at a, a, a pivot point where organizations can take that opportunity to recalibrate, and much like it sounds like New Balance has. 
Yeah, it is, I think, fascinating times from, from a, a organization design standpoint, you know, for digital strategies. You know, just as Nathan said, you know, the, this is now the main show. So all of a sudden, you know, some of those uh, uh, perhaps skeptics inside an organization, the ones that we would work on really hard to, to try to get them to come around to, to uh, a digital transformation reinvention, now they're all of a sudden they're believers. And, and I think, you know, that's where, you know, I think Nathan has some interesting you know, stories around that as well. But I, I do think, you know, the, the, you know, even his job description now, I think it, it is a bit of a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the recognition of the importance of uh, uh, these different channels. And in a sense, some of the commonalities with what might have been perceived as being very disparate channels in the, in the past I, I, I love the job that you know Nathan's got right now, but I think to your original point, Michael, I think it, it is. I think it's it's bigger. It's a cultural shift that I think you know we're we're kind of witnessing inside of you know organizations. We we used to place so much emphasis in, in earlier days of 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 digital for retailers and brands to. Uh, really make a strong effort in what we would often call an internal PR plan. How do you consistently communicate internally to, to different teams and departments, you know, what's happening in digital and why it's good for the yeah. company overall. And, you know, kind of repeatedly you know, bring hard data as well as, you know, anecdotes and, and stories. And that you, was you, you often, Jim, you, you, you and I know you often, and Nathan, you might have experienced this. You'd often find yourself evangelizing more than, you know, more than presenting. It's like, listen, you've got to get behind us on this. This is, this is happening. You almost, you know, chief evangelist for, for digital. I think those days are, um, have been just accelerated. Yeah. And that's why I think it's such a great opportunity right now, you know, uh, for, for companies who, who do really want to, reinforce their commitment you know to to a, their digital transformation strategy and i'd love to hear nathan's you know thoughts because uh, I, I know they uh it, it just sounds like you know there's um uh so much more religion if i can say that digital religion <laughs> you're spot on jim and culture change is at the absolute core of this in my opinion you might think of it as evangelizing or i think i think it was guerrilla warfare for a long time that within these organizations, digital was trying to be the scrappy underdog that was outperforming and taking hits from the core of the business saying, your returns on investment are only so high because you're so small or or this or that. I remember when I started my career, I was in consulting and one of my first major clients was Macy's e-commerce division. Um, Now, this was a number of years ago and Macy's e-commerce team physically sat in a different building than the core mothership, uh, both were in New York. Now, Macy's e-commerce was a $1.5 billion business at the time that was growing at something like 30% year over year. But it was in the context of a $24 billion parent company that was growing at 1% or 2% a year. It's just so hard to get the attention, let alone the resources and everything else, when you are not the main show in town. What this crisis has done has made digital the only show in town. And there's nothing that could be more powerful 
for accelerating the culture change that's required than, than this crisis. What it has meant is that every part of the organization and all of our customers and our marketing teams and our sales force and our operation teams, they're all now laser focused on digital because it's the only stream of business that they have. Now we have their attention and whether it's trying to train up salespeople who previously weren't very focused on digital and, and wouldn't consider themselves digitally fluent or whether it's working with retail partners on how their e-commerce business operates differently than their stores and where there are opportunities for a brand like us to steal share. There's just this opening of attention right now that is allowing for probably 18 to 24 months worth of culture change, at least to happen in eight weeks. You know, Nathan, I, I, I start to run out of adjectives for what's been been happening from a whole bunch of things. A, a friend of mine, retail strategist Carl Boutet, has called this the great acceleration. And and at first, I thought of it as as in the just in pure numbers, right? So much shift, so suddenly three four x shift into ecom, whether whether stores are open or not. And in many cases, the stores weren't open, so the shift was the only game in town, as as you said. But I I think what you're queuing on is so fascinating and. and and Jim, I, you must be loving this because it's it's been the acceleration of culture that, uh, and that culture can be simply you know working from home. Um, you know, organizations who who just never believed in working from home uh, now suddenly have, have got the you know to use your words, got religion uh, that this can work really well. But so let's explore that a little bit because you know how I, you know this this acceleration. How is it structured, and what what? Um, Acceleration means there are some trends already happening, and Nathan, you've touched them on, on them already, but what were the kind of two or three big trends as you were going into 2020 that you were focused on? Obviously, organizational design was already at the forefront, um, so it's got to be more than just volume that's accelerated. You've touched on a couple of things, but but heading into 2020, pre-COVID, so to speak, you know, it was only like eight to 10 weeks ago, how were you feeling about 2020 and, and beyond? What were those kind of big trends that, that you were talking to uh, your counterparts at, at New Balance app. So I very much subscribe to the great acceleration notion, but I think the piece of that that gets missed is you have to accelerate from a foundation. So if you think about acceleration brings to mind cars. If you think about the ability of a car to accelerate, well, the ability is based on how strong the engine is, how strong the driver is. The acceleration is an output, it's a multiplier on how strong the foundation is. So when you look at how organizations and consumers are responding to this crisis and how they're responding to the acceleration, I think what you see is that the magnitude of the acceleration is directly related to how strong and how prepared their foundation for that acceleration was before the crisis. So for New Balance, there are there are two things along those lines that are very relevant and have positioned us well. First, I want to talk about leadership, executive leadership. I would look at New Balance and look at organizations as a whole as having maybe three different chapters of people preparation or lack thereof. If I think about New Balance when I first started, I'm not sure we really had the orientation and the senior leadership point of view to say, we're going to place priority on these digital initiatives. And we see them as 
the future and we're going to redirect resources and redirect strategic priorities against those. But then what we did was a combination of hiring in some executives who had a different point of view on the world and promoting up people internally who had a different point of view on the world. And we started to have senior voices in those conversations that were advocating for something a little bit different. Well, what those people are then able to do is effectively redeploy resources and people and priorities and shift what the organization sees as its purpose. So for New Balance, I think very importantly, we brought in two senior leaders, one who became our new head of direct consumer globally, which includes our e-commerce businesses, and the other who's our new head of North America across all functions. That's my boss. Um, so what the two of them combined have been able to do is put a new orientation on the organization. That leads to the second major foundational pillar that we had before this. We had gone through a big strategic planning effort just about a year ago, looking at what our organization needed to look like in three to five years. And as you would expect, and with the leadership in place that I described, a major theme that came out of that was digital acceleration and looking at how we needed to reshape our organization, how we needed to reshape our spend, be it marketing or otherwise, how we needed to rethink about what our priority channels were and how we thought about our own digital channels, partner digital channels, new digital channels, and put in place a framework that we expected to deploy over a three to five year period. Now, was a, a quick question. Was there, what, what was the catalyst for that kind of strategic review? Because sometimes it's a leadership catalyst, new leadership or existing leadership realizes that the environment has changed. Sometimes it's, it's a crisis, not of the magnitude of COVID, but sometimes, you know, sales are, are going the wrong direction or there's a new competitor. It, was there a particular catalyst that led to that kind of strategic review? Because strategic reviews also have to have a pretty big mandate to actually get executed, right? So any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there were several factors that had been percolating over time and were converging to have it be a good moment for it. And that might have been shift in sales trends, anything you were reading in, in industry reports about where the market was going. But I really am at the core a pretty big believer in the power of strong and effective leadership. And I think what we had was strong and effective leadership that pushed that mandate for a strategic review and change that would come out of it. What, what that didn't do was take into account an economy and world changing crisis at the beginning of 2020. And fortunately for us as a silver lining, fortunately, what were supposed to be three to five year strategic plans are now becoming six to 12 month strategic plans. I mean, it's, it's really amazing, Michael, to look at yeah. some of the things that we either anticipated happening percentage of our business that was going to come from digital, um, the shift in customer base or whether it was priorities that we wanted to try to drive that we thought a three year time frame was an ambitious time frame. Now we're talking about having those mm -hmm. fully in place by Q3 2020. Wow. It, 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 when I talk to executives, they, they really think about it's what you're articulating that I need to develop an organization that that is going to be more nimble than 
um, strategic planning oriented because we don't really know how to plan strategically. Like there's no rule book. There's no playbook for what's about to happen in the next 18 months. Um, you know, there's a number of scenarios that could happen, but we have to make some bigger bets. And it sounds like you already were going down the path and then this, this, you know, it accelerated down the path, but you still as an organization need to be, to be responsive. I, I wonder what your thoughts are. And, and you're, I think you're two thirds of the way through, but I, I just had a thought around, um, as you think about the volumes today, this acceleration, is there any, any thoughts in, in your building about kind of a bounce back, right? So, uh, here in, in Canada, we're starting to open retail stores again, and we're starting to see digital go down a bit because, you know, naturally when there's no stores, digital accounts for the only, for some formats, the only way you could shop, um, and people are, I think people, retail stores are going to figure out, we're all going to figure out how to shop in stores. So I guess what the question I'm asking is, how do you calibrate uh, the shock of growth versus the calibrate of where the waterline is going to settle out at? Because it's probably, it may or may not, probably, probably it may or may not settle out at the high level it is today. Eventually stores are going to open up and they're going to start selling your product again and things are going to recalibrate slightly. How do you think about that? What lens do you look at through that? <laughs> the great forecasting challenge of 2020. <laughs> uh, I think we're still too big. How big is your dartboard, Nathan? How big is your dartboard? I think we're still too much in the thick of this really to know how behavior is going to change permanently. I think there are two things that we definitely do know. The shift to digital, it's not going to go all the way back to what it was pre-COVID. And consumer behaviors have permanently changed. And the second one in an industry like ours is really the critical point. Because once consumer behaviors fundamentally change, then all of the mechanisms meant to serve consumers fall in line, whether it's the brands, the retailers, the new formats. Yeah, I look at, for example, some of the high-end sneaker drops that we've been doing in the midst of this crisis and some of the incredible results and response that we've had to them when that's not what you would think from an economy with everyone stuck inside questioning uh, mm -hmm. their own employment, you know, their ability to go out and even think about it. You're, you're buying a, a high-end fashion shoe to do what? To sit in your apartment? And yet we've seen <laughs> incredible results from our sneaker drops. So one of the channels I, I mentioned that I manage is our emerging channels and Mm -hmm. um, that includes StockX. We just did, for those who aren't familiar, StockX is, um, it began as a peer-to-peer -peer trading platform for sneakers. They've now expanded to more categories, but basically it was looking to be the stock market for sneakers and other goods. And they've now expanded some to begin working directly with brands. And we've been at the forefront of that with them. Their reach in our market is incredible. If, if your listeners are not familiar with them, I would really recommend going in and researching them some because they are one of the new formats in retail that's going to stick. But so uh, just about two weeks ago, we did our first sneaker IPO with them, initial public offering. And basically what it consists of is we had a finite number of pairs of a, a high-end footwear launch. In this case, it was a collaboration with a partner called No Vacancy Inn. And there was a three-day IPO window. The consumer sees that there are 400 pairs available, but there's no price associated with the launch. And consumers bid whatever they see fit for the product. And then the top 400 bidders 
get the product. And it, it's, it's what's called a, a, a double blind auction. So they all end up paying sure. whatever the lowest winning price was. So yeah. let me just give you a couple of interesting stats. And remember, all of this happening in the context of a pandemic and on, on a right. shoe that you can't wear out anywhere. Right. right. 400 pairs of a shoe that would have retailed in a normal environment at $120. We received 14,000 bids on the product. <laughs> the shoe had a clearing price of $415, MSRP of 120. We had one consumer bid $50,000. Come on. Because they didn't Come on, actually, Elon Musk. Elon Musk must love your brand. That's all I can say. But here's the thing, Michael. And, and this is where consumer digital innovation is coming. That consumer who bid $50,000, they had no intention of paying $50,000. They understood this is a new market dynamic. And that if they bid an absurdly high price, then they were certainly going to be one of those top 400 bids, but they were only going to have to pay whatever the lowest of those 400 bids were. So it's, it's new consumer behaviors. It's new formats. We saw that we got bids from, I think it was 110 countries. We had 30% of the sales on that product came from outside of the U.S. I mean, this is new digital format innovation happening in the midst of a crisis. Well, you know what? It, it, I, I did this uh, panel um, and Ken, I want you to jump in after this. I kind of make this point because I I, I, I I can feel you itching to kind of jump in. It's such a great, uh, great conversation with Nathan. You know, I did this panel with this professor who did uh, who specialty was gamification and retail. And what you're describing is is like the gamification of retail. Like there's more going on here than meets the eye. In other words, all these dynamics being the case, it's how do you inject fun and experience into buying product? And And this is just such a different what you're describing is, is like the gamification of, uh, you know, everything from the tactics around, uh, bidding over, over the price to the $50,000 bid to, you know, all these kind of bids. So fascinating. Ken, what do you, what do you think, what do you make of all this? I mean, you've been hearing this, this must be music to your ears. I mean, you, you've been evangelizing you and Jim and, and Scott have been evangelizing for this kind of revolution and this kind of leader in, for, for years. Yeah, well, first off, that wasn't me putting the $50,000 bid in, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know, I, I, and, and we were talking kind of before we, we hit the record button uh, about a conversation Jim and I just actually had with some, some of the guys from Arvado who have a really good focus on, you know, what's going on in Germany. Again, Germany being one of the, the markets that's, that's opened a little bit earlier along, you know, followed China. Uh, interestingly enough to your question about, you know, is this, this not only the e-commerce uh, surge, but with any commerce, this, this hypercharged growth of cross border, you know, does it have legs or is is it just, you know, kind of something we're going to see until the stores start opening? Uh, you know, across the board, their data coming out of Germany showed that, you know, not only has uh, the e-commerce growth held its own share over the past three, four weeks that the stores have been reopening, as they've been talking to their clients, they're definitely planning for this growth to be, you know, a new plateau, if you will. So I don't think we're going to continue to see this, this crazy, you know, week over week growth, but this, this new, um, benchmark that we've established is in place. The other interesting thing too is, you know, as we've been talking about, you know, some of the, the wholesale changes, if you will, and, and how the wholesale folks on uh, Nathan's team have shifted and really bought into digital kind of reminds me a little bit of the, the keynote panel we had uh, in New York 
where Nathan joined uh, another one of our popular speakers, Jeff Lord from Burton. We were just talking about kind of lessons learned from markets like China and Japan, where they both have very strong businesses. One thing that was interesting was, though, you know, as you look at this, as Nathan put it, you know, this permanent change that we're seeing to the customer experience, the customer journey. And interestingly enough, as we look across mature markets, we're seeing very similar adjustments to the customer journey, regardless of where they might be. Nathan and I were talking a little bit, uh, again, before we hit the record button about, you know, how some of his work in China influenced uh, probably, you know, one of their bigger focuses right now from a strategic perspective, which is within their their kind of marketplace strategies, how their single shipment and their hub and spoke strategy has really, I believe, if, if I'm not putting words in your mouth, Nathan, really kind of originated with your work in China. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, kind of how this single shipment strategy is, is really kind of redefining the, the direct-to-consumer strategy, especially as you guys do your own great, ex, great acceleration in-house. Absolutely. And Kent, I have to give you some credit for distilling a lot of those thoughts. I think some of the influence that countries outside of the U.S. have on the future of e-commerce, those are thoughts that were percolating as I was in my previous role, spending a lot of time in China and Japan. But it was largely as a product of conversations you and I had that I, I think I was able to start to form that into a more cohesive thought. So thank you for that. But I think you really hit it pretty squarely. A lot of what we're talking about with different e-commerce formats and different ways of thinking about how a brand has a direct connection with an end consumer, these have been second nature in countries outside of the U.S., specifically China and Japan, for quite some time. If we think about what e-commerce is, it's basically a single shipment from a brand to an end consumer. Now, in the U.S., where there's been such a strong history of wholesale business and as e-commerce being the small second fiddle up-and-comer, as we discussed at the beginning, I think that this notion of a single shipment business from a brand and the brand's own website couldn't be conceptually decoupled from each other. By contrast, in some of the Asian countries, specifically in China, it took a very different form. So from the time that I spent uh, working in China, and I was going to China every six weeks for, for several years and, and really learned an incredible amount from my time working on that business. But what I came to see in how they thought about e-commerce was really more of what has become the hub-and-spoke strategy that New Balance is currently developing. So basically, the, the team in China saw themselves as having a set of capabilities that enabled different e-commerce end use cases. Now, those capabilities were the brand planning and holding inventory, the brand being able to send a single shipment to an end consumer and not have it go through an intermediary such as a retailer, the transaction taking place on a website or digital platform, not necessarily the brand's website, and there being an element of, uh, of site experience that required the transmission and the integration of data. So in China, that takes the form of newbalance.com, but it also takes the form of T2 
Tmall, JD, WeChat Commerce. We have the same team over there that manages all of those different forms of digital commerce. And now in the U.S., several years later, we're starting to walk our way down adopting a similar strategy. So basically, the way that we're thinking about the hub-and-spoke model of single shipment businesses moving forward is basically to say, effectively, we're operating a whole bunch of quote-unquote marketplaces. What we have is a central capability to hold inventory, send a single shipment to an end consumer, and have technology integrations that allow us to syndicate out product information, inventory levels, and the ability to transact an order. Now what we can think of are multiple end use cases for that set of capabilities. And we might say that a marketplace such as eBay is an end use for that hub set of capabilities. We might say that Instagram commerce is a an instance of being able to use that capability. Selling product directly through media partners such as a ESPN or GQ is another end use case of that. And as you get further and further down this thought process, you come to think of your own e-commerce as another use case of it. So I think the great learning for us is decoupling the capabilities that enable e-commerce from the website itself and realizing that those capabilities and the flexibility to deploy them against multiple end use cases, that's really what the future of of digital commerce is going to look like. Yeah, and Nathan, I mean, you kind of nailed exactly where... I mean, really kind of our updated China report that was the lead finding is, you know, we've, you know, we've moved from this multi-channel world to this multi-platform world. And I mean, you, you, you nailed it. It's really about the, this decoupling and thinking about the fact that your digital strategy is all sorts of different platforms. But let's talk about, you know, the, the, the big platform. And I know it's a bigger part of your business now is, is working with the team at Amazon. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you guys are doing there? You know, we get, we get a lot of this kind of pro Amazon, anti Amazon stuff going on. You got the one P versus the three P dialogues and narratives. I, recall from our conversations, you know, both recently and, you know, before we got together back in New York last September, you guys have had a lot of success with Amazon. Maybe walk us through what you're doing, you know, kind of in your current role with Amazon and and some of the lessons learned from that work. Yeah, we, we have a great Amazon business and we have a great relationship with our partners at Amazon, but it also has gone through a number of different evolutions. So, when I first inherited the Amazon business, uh, it was pretty sizable, but I would say that our relationship with them on both sides was pretty transactional. Now, I think over the last couple of years, there are two major shifts that we've made in how we approach the Amazon business, and both of them in different ways have yielded really positive results. One is we started to come to an understanding, and importantly, brought others in the organization, in our organization, along for the ride with the notion that Amazon is more than a sales channel. It's also a consumer experience and discovery platform. So if you're thinking narrowly of Amazon just as another one of your customers and sales channels, I think you're missing out on some of the key consumer behaviors around search and exploration on Amazon. Most people are familiar with the statistic that 66% or whatever it is currently probably higher right now, but 66% of product searches 
start on Amazon. It's higher than Google. It's, it's higher than your own website. What that means is that whether you're selling a product on Amazon or not, consumers are going to Amazon to try to research your product. They're going to Amazon to experience your brand. So we've really come to see it as every bit as much a marketing and discovery and consumer experience platform as it is a sales channel. That means that we approach our priorities with them pretty differently. We've invested a lot more in how we think about rich PDP experiences, not just on products that are going to be high volume for our 1P business, but also on products that we might not even sell Amazon. But we know that they're key to our brand and that consumers are going to be coming to that detail page. And a rich experience is going to increase both their perception of our brand and their conversion in the macro sense, not necessarily their conversion on Amazon. It also means that we've thought about the type of activities that we want to engage in with Amazon differently. We have next week coming up our second, uh, second year in a row of participating in Amazon's Global Running Day. This was an event that they piloted for the first time last year, and we were a, a partner in co-creating it with them. And it was the first time that we really did an event with Amazon that was more about brand accretive activation ahead of sales. So they brought a number of interesting marketing innovations to it. There was a live streaming component, which Kent, you and I have talked about that quite a bit. We sent a couple of our uh, product experts down and had them go through a, a series of, of running and product tutorials live on air with an expert from Amazon. Uh, and our results from it were fantastic. And it really changed the way that we thought about activations with Amazon and has become the springboard for us doing more things along those lines. I, I encourage everyone to to check out next week at the time of the recording on June 3rd for Global Running Day. And you'll see some really cool experience, some really cool content, in, including content from one of our athletes, Emma Coburn, that was specifically made for this event. Um, so anyway, thing one would be thinking about Amazon every bit as much as a consumer experience marketing discovery platform is as, as it is a sales channel the second I, I love that idea it's 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 mike i just want to jump in i love that idea as amazon as media versus amazon as a transactional platform or not versus but but both like that's so so interesting well it, it's been successful for us and i think it's been a learning experience incrementally but it's a core part of our strategy with them now and it's been something we've leaned deeper into during the crisis not not leaned out of the second major change that we've made, and this gets back to some of the conversations around organization and culture, is we've really reshaped the team that works on Amazon and the skill sets and backgrounds of that team. From the time when I took over this business to now, we've, we've basically completely turned over our team. And nobody on this team comes from a traditional sales background. Everyone either comes from an e-commerce background or an analytics background or a digital marketing background. For example, the quote-unquote account manager on my team who, who has direct responsibility for the Amazon business is absolutely fantastic. He worked on our global insights and analytics team for this. He went from having no sales experience to taking over one of our largest and most important accounts and has absolutely succeeded in it because the approach that he and the other members of the team have brought is looking at Amazon through the lens of an e-commerce 
an analytical opportunity, not a traditional sales channel. So we think of it much more as running an e-commerce business, setting up site pages, forecasting through digital analysis. And we bring a lot of quantitative analysis to the business and to the table with Amazon. And importantly, what that has allowed us to do is sit at the proverbial and literal table with Amazon much more as, as peers and as equals. I can really remember the first meeting that we had with Amazon where we started to bring real analytical horsepower and insights to the conversation and their physical posture changed when they saw they lit up, they lit up. eh? And I think that the way they looked at our team and the level of respect that they had, it, it noticeably changed. And one of the most gratifying things for me, the most gratifying thing for, for me in my role has been building this team. But as an output of that, one of the best experiences that I've had is um, about a week after that meeting that I was referencing, I was in a conversation with, uh, with one of our counterparts over at Amazon. She had said that there was a senior leader who had been in the meeting for a a portion of time over at Amazon and um, caught the individual that I'm talking about in the hallway later that week and said that that meeting with New Balance was quote, the smartest meeting they had ever had with a vendor. That's what I want my team to be known for, for being the smartest people that are coming to the table. And it's made a huge difference in how we plan the business and how we execute the business. And really importantly, in the level of mutual respect and trust between us and Amazon, that's allowed us to have quite a bit more back and forth in the process than what I hear from some of our peers. You know, Jim, I wanted I, I wanted to hear from you about one thing. Uh, well, many things, but the the kind of cultural change and organizational horsepower that I'm hearing described um, have you have you seen that elsewhere? And if so, is this a model that that Nathan is describing that is transportable, or is it unique um, to a format or an individual? Do you do you think what what we're hearing this kind of dynamism and it's almost like the old days when org- organizations start to build along customer segmentation versus product you know we're now seeing that plus now channel um have you seen anything like this or do you think this is a, a portable you know there are lessons to be learned from the listeners in terms of how they think about their organization in other words yeah it's certainly a, a rare case but very uh, uh, wonderful to hear you know nathan talk about the culture and organization change uh, I'd certainly say that's best practice because, you know, we, we, we have seen this in, in, in a few organizations where they, they have embraced different ways to think through it. It's clearly been very data and analytics driven as we've all built our e-commerce, you know, careers upon. And so, you know, th- this is where it is certainly um, permeating all corners of, a, of, a, of an enterprise. And I, I love to kind of hear that. Uh, but no doubt, this is um, uh, still an exception as opposed to the norm. You know, Nathan, it's been such a great conversation. I wanted to just ask you kind of a summing up question. Um, what's next? I mean, in one way, who knows what's next um, just from the current period we're in, the COVID period. But in general, from a priority and planning, you've done so much work. What's next for, for you and New Balance and the team in terms of, of um, it's almost, again, funny to say what's next because we're all in the middle of something pretty big now. But how are you thinking about down the road and, and the, the next big 
uh, evolution, if, if I could put it that way. Yeah, I think we're just getting started. When I think about this conversation, a lot of, of what the last couple of years, the stretch leading up to this has been, is building that foundation for acceleration that we referenced before. I now feel like our team, our organization is finally just kind of on the cusp of having the level of momentum that we need to break through. And Jim's very kind to talk about what, what we're building as being an exception. I think it's more a case of momentum build upon, builds upon itself. So Mm -hmm. what we've seen is that as we're building a culture that is incrementally more digital, incrementally more analytical, that, looks at problems with a sense of curiosity rather than I've seen this, I know how to do it. One Mm. that, Mm. that results in better problem solving, but importantly, it becomes infectious within the team. And as we add new team members and bring them into this culture and this environment, they pick it up and then the momentum builds and our ability to tackle bigger and meatier opportunities simply grows. So when I look at my hit list of opportunities right now, it's long. And, and the challenge and the opportunity is really more about narrowing in the focus to the ones that are going to have the biggest impact. I break that into to two major buckets to, to leave us with something. So one, I really do think that this hub-and-spoke model that we discussed as having been the case in, in Asia for a number of years, I really do believe that that's where digital commerce in the U.S. is going. And as digital commerce becomes increasingly borderless, that will be the engine that empowers it and that allows it to have the flexibility to respond to what will unquestionably be additional new formats. And then the second team thing is I look at it as I've got a great team who has a sense of purpose and a sense of collaboration. And I think one of the best things that a digital leader can do is try to give their team a sense of purpose and priority, and then get the heck out of the way. If you have smart people and you empower them and give them the platform to go make digital change, they're going to run with it and have incredible results. Well, this has been fantastic. It's a great way to sum up. Jim, Kent, any final thoughts before uh, before we wrap it up? Michael, no, just wanted to, again, thank you as always for, for hosting and to thank Nathan for joining us. You know, I, I like this kind of acceleration, this momentum. Obviously, the, this moving forward is something that we're all seeing. We're putting a kind of a new survey into the field here in about a week uh, that really looks at, again, the path ahead. Certainly, we're not the only ones trying to figure that out. So we're going to encourage anybody on this uh podcast or listening out there in the audience world to to kind of come online and join us in this survey effort so we can get some additional information out. But no, this has been great. I, I definitely really appreciate Nathan weighing in on especially lessons that, that he's learned in his roles working with uh, shoppers outside the U.S. and, and how that's certainly uh, kind of helping his team become the smartest team out there. So so good for you and the team, Nathan. And Jim, I'll let you kind of wrap up with a couple of final thoughts. Sure. My only final thought was uh, I, w- I was going to say to Nathan that I want to steal your automobile analogy in talking about uh, acceleration because <laughs> I think there's a lot of organizations out there who are trying to accelerate, stepping on the gas, but they, they, they realize they forgot to connect the drivetrain or maybe they didn't even know they needed a drivetrain in a lot of cases. So I think, again, it, it just makes for you know fascinating times. But I also think 
where you you hear you know what Nathan and team are doing at, at New Balance, it, it really is you know very very exciting, and you can kind of see where I think you know leaders in digital are really going to be able to step on the gas. Yeah, and it's where others to- may not be. Yeah, it's not just the drivetrain. You know, my, my my thought on the whole kind of uh, you know sports car analogy, or or you know, I was thinking other kinds of cars as well. It's not just the drivetrain. It's you know, what's the surface? What are you sitting on? Are you on nice new pavement, or are you sitting in gravel? Because uh, I think there are a lot of organizations that are are looking to kind of put the pedal to the metal, but they're unfortunately sitting in uh, gravel some of them are sitting in mud so uh you got to think about the road conditions as well and, and on that note I'll, I'll guess i'll fade to black here <laughs> well it, it it's a it's a great analogy i think we could go on for miles talking about it or kilometers i'm gonna say guys you can have the car analogy it's all yours because my major misstep was I'm in the running business. I should have been giving a running footwear analogy <laughs> That's here. right. And yeah. I am shocked that we've been through almost an hour of conversation and no one's asked me for a footwear recommendation as everyone's trying to get out there and run more. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a recommendation and make a bold please, claim. Please. The single best running shoe on the market right now is New Balance's 1080. If anybody out there is looking for a running shoe, that is your running shoe. Well, uh, you know, I've often described uh, retail as a marathon, not a race. So uh, I'm going to try a pair of those 1080s out. Nathan, it's been such a treat to have you on. And, and uh, I really thank you uh, on behalf of, uh, of the global e-commerce tech talks for being here and, and sharing your wisdom with us. Really appreciate it. And, and uh, please, uh, great to meet you. And please, everyone, uh, stay safe. And uh, let's keep uh, focusing on uh, all these great uh, stories. And, and I think there, there's so much to give. So thanks again, everyone, for being on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Well, all right. That's a wrap on this edition of the Global E-Commerce Tech Talks podcast. If you'd like this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Please rate and review and be sure and recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail and cross-border commerce industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc. You can learn more about me on www. WMELeBlanc.co, and you can learn more about the Global E-Commerce Leaders Forum online at www.globalecommerceleadersforum.com. Until next time, have a safe week.